Good morning. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, we thank you for your immeasurable love. Thank you that you have called us this morning and every day of our lives, that we would love you with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. And that we should love you as we love, we should love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing of life and the opportunity to hear you speak to us, O God. Would you just bless our time and fellowship together, O Heavenly Father. Let your name be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Usually when I am preaching at home, I say, please turn to your neighbor and tell them neighbor. So come on, somebody. Turn to your neighbor and tell them neighbor. You look beautiful when you smile. It's a little awkward if your neighbor is your husband or wife and you didn't speak to her this morning. But this is the place where reconciliation happens, right? So please turn to your neighbor once again and tell them, out of the abundance of your heart, neighbor, you look beautiful when you smile. This morning I have the very difficult task of talking about our love for God and love for our neighbor. It is difficult because even when we gather together every week for worship and we are reminded in the summary of the law that the first and greatest commandment is that we ought to love our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. And the second is like it, that we ought to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Sometimes we step out of the door and we forget. But this morning, God is reminding us that it is difficult to keep the law. It is difficult to observe every single one of the laws that are found in Scripture. And so he summarizes the law for us in one word, and that word is love. And Romans 10, actually, Romans 13 and verse 10 says, that the law is fulfilled in love. That if we should love our Lord, our God, with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind, and if we should love our neighbors as we love ourselves, then we have fulfilled what the law requires of us. The love of God is, first, is the first and great commandment and the summary of all the commands of the first half of the Ten Commandments. And it spells out that God is to be loved in the first place. Nothing should be loved by us beside him. Our devotion must only be to him. We are therefore directed, firstly, to love God as our God. You shall love the Lord your God. Take a moment and think about that and the implications of it. That the Lord God Almighty, the creator of the universe, the one who declares that let there be, and it be, that God is willing to be called our God by us. It is phenomenal for us to think that we who are lowly creatures, who are considered sinners, that God should love us and be willing to come into a relationship with us. But we can only love him as such because we have been first and foremost reconciled to him 
and we have been made, he has been made ours by the covenant that we have willingly entered into with him. Our conduct and our response to that love should be that of obedience to him and dependence upon him. Secondly, we are required to love him with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. And I think the writer of this book mentions those various faculties to underscore the completeness of that love. That we cannot just love God on Sunday morning and not through the week in our places of work or when we are driving. Oh, I've seen a few Christians who get into a road rage <laughs> in between the week, but on Sunday, they love the Lord with all their hearts. It is not a something that we pick and choose. It is a requirement that we would love Him, that our love for Him must be sincere and not just word and tongue only. We must love Him with all that is within us and all that we have, as the psalmist says in Psalm 103 and verse 1. We must be engaged for him. We must live for him. Anything we do must spring forth from our love for him. Therefore, I want to submit that it is almost possible for us to be able to love ourselves and to love our neighbors if our love is not first and foremost premised on our true love for our God. We are also required to love our neighbor. Like unto the first, this commandment is inclusive of the precepts of the second part of the Ten Commandments. It is like it in the sense that it is founded upon it and it flows from it. I can therefore not stand here and say, I love the Lord. The Lord God is my Savior. I am born again. And yet the people I live with under the same roof do not experience that love. It is radical because when we truly love God, when we enter into a redeeming relationship with God, it has consequences for how we live our lives out there. It has consequences for the kind of relationships that we have with our spouses, with our children, with the people that live next door from us, with the people that we work with. But it is also implied in that commandment that we ought to love ourselves. How do we love ourselves when we are so inclined to think of ourselves through the lenses of those of the society, of the world right now, that will love us or will like us based on our worldly success, that will demand certain things of us, and when we are not living by their standards, they will want to discard us. I pray that God will help us to have a healthy view of ourselves and love ourselves truly because first and foremost, he declares in Scripture that you are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And so regardless of what you've been through, regardless of how people have treated you, may you acknowledge that God loves you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How wonderful it is to experience the love of God. There are many amongst us who walk with in self-condemnation. There are a lot of us who walk in pain because of the baggage we bring with us from our past. People who have not treated us right. People who have looked down upon us. But this morning, the good news is that God loves us and is giving us an invitation to come to that love. And he's actually declaring 
that no matter what you have done, no matter what you have become, I love you. Please come to me. Hallelujah. We must love our neighbors as sincerely as ourselves. And we must deny ourselves in some certain instances for the sake of our neighbor. We must measure our love for others by what we wish for ourselves. Praise be to God. So how does our love for our neighbor really look like? In our readings of Scripture, both in the epistle reading and the gospel reading, emphasis is still being made on how we ought to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Paul, in his teaching in Philippians chapter 2 and in verse 3, encourages us to have the attitude of Christ as we love our neighbors. And in verse 3 he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And notice here that selfish ambition is listed among the acts of sinful nature that Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 20. In contrast, humility is what is required of us. If we are truly going to love our neighbors, God is calling us to humility. He is calling us to a mindset that is not conceited, but a mindset that has the right attitude towards ourselves and towards others. And so Christians are to have the right attitude or Christ's attitude of self-sacrificing humility and love for others. I must point out the doctrine of kenosis in verse 6 and 7, the doctrine of Christ self-emptying himself, how he gave up his glory for the sake of those who are sinners like us, how he was completely submitted to the will of God and set aside the enjoyment of the divine prerogatives for our salvation. It therefore implies that as a Christian, patterning our lives after Christ himself, we must nail our selfishness to the cross. We must set aside the enjoyment of personal comfort for the sake of others. And in the gospel reading, we encounter this woman who is referred to as a sinner and had probably heard Jesus teaching, and in repentance, she's determined to lead a new life. And so she comes out with love and gratitude in the understanding that she had been forgiven by Christ. And she loves the Christ. He, he uses the expensive perfume to anoint his feet because she understands that she has been loved much and her response ought to be that of love towards others. Her love was evidence of her forgiveness and not the basis of it. Sometimes as we read that scripture, we might think that Jesus commends her because of the actions that he, she does. But her actions are out of the forgiveness and the love that she has experienced from Christ. And therefore, when we have been loved like Christ has loved us, when we have been forgiven, our response ought to be that of love towards our neighbor. The command to love our neighbors lies at the core of God's plan for our lives. And when we follow this mandate, it changes everything. It is radical. It is a radical commandment. Because when we fully follow it, it changes everything. The command to love God with everything we have and to love our neighbors as ourselves is not just a wise saying or a nice saying for that matter. It is, in fact, a God-given, Christ-centered plan that he has had 
that has the potential to change the world. I want you to pause for a moment and think about how many times you have the opportunity in the course of a day to love your neighbor. And every day we have the chance or the choice to love our neighbors like the Good Samaritan did or to walk the other way like the priest and the Levite did. And so we are called upon this morning to love our neighbors. And getting to know your neighbor can be intimidating. It is so easy, brothers and sisters, to draw negative conclusions about your neighbors, especially if you don't know much about them, if they have just moved in, or if you've been living with them for the last 10 years and you have not even as much as said good morning. But this morning, God invites us not just to the metaphorical sense of neighborhood, but also the literal sense of neighborhood. It is so radical that if we think about it in the literal sense, it's almost as if we are being told that if you cannot love your neighbor in the literal sense, the neighbor that lives next door or down the street, you have no business loving the neighbor that is in Honduras or in Africa. I pray that this season, as St. Paul's considers neighboring, that it will be so clear that the Lord is speaking to us about how we ought to love our neighbors that live next to us. God invites us to love them the way he has loved us, that our neighboring will start from our hearts and that it will go forth as we touch the lives of others. You know, of course, that we live in a world which is really messed up, our awareness of people's brokenness is also heightened for various reasons. We have fear of what my neighbor is like. We have suspicion, prejudice, differences in values, fear of commitment. Our past experiences of life become a hindrance to what God wants to do in and through us. And at times those fears are valid and can save us from potentially harmful unhealthy or dangerous situations. But most often in my experience, our fears, our prejudice are unwarranted and can be an obstacle to obeying the commandments of God. I remember when I went to seminary at Trinity School for Ministry, uh, it was the first time I was actually moving out of my culture and my context into a new place. And Gary actually says this story better than I do <laughs> but I remember in the first time in class, Gary came off as a very loud person for me. <laughs> <laughs> and when we sat in class, he spoke about theological concepts like, you know, it's just something else, you know, some marketing skills he had learned in the course of his work in the corporate world. He spoke about the theologians like they were his close relatives. And that intimidated me about him. <laughs> and so it took a while. I didn't know that at the time he was also struggling with the fear of getting close to me. And so one day, uh, one of our friends, a mutual friend, who is also a priest in this diocese, uh, decides to put a birthday party for me and invites me over to his place. And I show up early and Gary is there sipping on his beer. <laughs> and they had been told in seminary that please don't drink beer around African students. They find it offensive. 
<laughs> and so he had brought beer, and he was trying to hide it as much as he could. He poured <laughs> it in a mug. And so when I got into the house, this was actually the first personal experience I was having with him. <laughs> and so my host asked me what I would have. Would you have water or tea? And I said, I'm going to have what Gary is having. <laughs> <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, that opened up a world of possibilities. It became the doorway for our relationship from the time we were together in seminary. And over the years, we have visited back and forth. He was literally scared at the thought of getting on an airplane and flying 25,000 miles to come to Africa. Mm -hmm. He often asked me, what about the mosquitoes? What would I eat? How is the food? How about the temperature? Here it is hot and there is no air conditioner. Yes, there is no air conditioner. <laughs> but he loved it when he came. He was able to overcome his fear. And what came out of it was a beautiful relationship. A relationship that has blossomed into an impactful transformation of my people. For the first time, the people in my village, for the first time ever, are turning on a tap, and they are drawing clean, fresh water. Mm. Glory to God. <laughs> Glory to God. Amen. So you never know what plans God has when he puts you on a path to begin to engage with your neighbor, to begin to love them. Because out of the relationship that might develop between you and your neighbor, there is something that God desires to do. So like I've said, to love our neighbor we must have the courage to wrestle with our fears because you will have to get into uncomfortable environments, you will have to get into awkward situations, you will have to deal with neighbors who are grumpy, <laughs> who do not smile most of the time. They might even turn you down when you show up at their doorstep to offer them hospitality. They might turn you down and not show up in the block party you are organizing for the neighborhood. But I pray that you will press on. Because that is the example that Christ has set for us. That when we were yet sinners, he relentlessly pursues us. Hallelujah. Mm. That Amen. God will give us the grace to pursue our neighbors because we know that it is a God-given commandment. But you ask God to lead you as you engage with your neighborhood. Pray that God will give you the grace. But most importantly, acknowledge your own brokenness. Because sometimes as we engage with our neighbors, we might be tempted to take the higher ground, stand on the pedestal, and think of them like the Pharisee thought about this woman and say, she is a sinner. I have no business with her. But when we begin to acknowledge our own brokenness and the grace that God has lavished upon us when we are sinners, then we can extend the same grace to others that are sinners. Hallelujah. Amen. May we acknowledge our own brokenness and trust that God will order our footsteps as we neighbor in the way that God wants us to. Allow me to point out as I come to a conclusion that fear is one of the things that can distract us from the promise of God's provision, God's presence and protection. For the Israelites in Numbers 13, at the verge of entering the promised land, the fear of the ten spies caused them not to enter into the possession that God had prepared for them. 
And that fear was all in their perception. Pause for a moment and wonder with me. Did the enemies of Israel really see the Israelites as mere grasshoppers? Or was it just in their perception? There are times that in our perception we think we have an image of others. We assume what they think about us. And that fear distorts our perspectives. Those fears keep us from what God has prepared for you and I. Those fears keep us from rescuing a young man who is lost in addiction. Those fears keep us from sharing the love of God with others who have never heard the gospel being shared. Those fears prevent us from becoming a sounding board for a couple who is going through rough times in their marriage and are the verge of divorce. Those fears keep us from being there for someone who is battling loneliness and has suicidal thoughts. I am asserting, ladies and gentlemen, that when we are submitted to God, when we obey his command to love our neighbor and allow him to guide us, then we have nothing to fear. Of course, there will be awkward moments. There will be those socially uncomfortable moments as you engage in neighboring. But please remember that Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 that we have not been given the spirit of fear, but the spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And so this morning, as you go off into your neighborhood, may God enable you to be bold and be the neighbor that God wants you to be. May you take the first step of faith. This weekend at the New Wineskins Conference, one of the speakers said, when you are a man or a woman of faith, there is a level of risk involved. And if goes, he went further and posed the question, if there is no risk, then what is the point of faith? When we take the step of faith, it will result into powerful, powerful transformations. Amen. Powerful results await us, brothers and sisters. Barriers will be broken. Barriers across races. Tribal barriers for us who come from Africa. Social barriers. Geographical barriers will be broken. Class barriers will be broken. Relationships will be established. The love of God will be shared. And most importantly, lives will be transformed when we decide to be good neighbors. Amen. And so this morning, confront your fears regarding your neighbor. Examine the assumptions you have always had about them. Examine the perceptions that, you, that cause you to judge them. And know your neighbor. Allow them to know you. And don't allow yourselves to be controlled by fear. And you will live such peaceful, such powerful, such life-transforming lives. Amen. Take a moment and... Reflect on the many times you have had an opportunity to love your neighbor and you have chosen to walk on the other side. And I pray that God leads us to repentance this morning for the times we have ignored the people that live across from us because of our own fears and prejudices. May God just break our hearts into loving the people that he loves, the people that he cares about. Amen. Gracious God, we thank you. Thank you for pointing to us 
that we ought to love you with all our heart, all our minds, and all our souls. Thank you for pointing to us that it is impossible to love ourselves or even to love our neighbors if our love is not founded on you and it is not flowing from you. We come before you this morning to acknowledge that many other times that our fears, our prejudices, our doubts have caused us not to position ourselves to be used by you, to be good neighbors. Mm. We come before you, Lord, and we sincerely repent. Have mercy on us that we, the Church of Christ, can choose to ignore those who are living close to us. Have mercy on us and help us to love you sincerely, to give ourselves completely to you so that we will be enabled by the Holy Spirit to be able to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. This is our prayer in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Fred. That was great. That was awesome.